Welcome, everybody, to the Boiler Alert podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm a sad Ryan Bonaparte. Yes, I'm also a sad Andrew Ledman. Uh, we're with you uh, today as our, our first official episode um, as part of the Fans First Sports Network. The transition uh, to the new network was completed on Friday, as promised, um, from SB Nation, so no problems there. You'll notice the new artwork um, and the new name will show up in all your podcast feeds, starting with this episode. It, it should have already converted in your last one um, if you downloaded it later. So uh, just take a look. It should all be in there, so we should all be ready to go. But, you know, we're here. Obviously, we're recording Saturday night. Purdue, number one seed, becomes the second ever number one seed to lose to a 16 after losing to Fairleigh Dickinson, 63-58. to um, Ryan, that had to have been one of the worst sporting events you've ever watched in person, if not the worst. I mean, where where does this rank for you? It ranks number one, so a 16 seed can beat that too. Yeah, <laughs> too soon. No jokes. Mm-hmm. No jokes yet. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you, you drove to Columbus. You mm-hmm. were there, media credential, up in the box, you know, with everybody else who was, who was there watching the game. What was... What was the vibe like in the box as things started to kind of go off the rails for Purdue? Almost comical to the point of just how is this happening? Um, obviously, you, no one expected this. Um, and you're just sitting there, and you almost want to start joining the crowd when they start chanting for FDU just because of the mentality of the entire arena. Um, several times, just the entire arena just broke out in chance for it. And it's just a feeling of despair just kept coming and coming and coming. Then Purdue went on a 10-0 run at one point. Yeah. And immediately followed by an 8-0 run for, for Fairleigh Dickinson. So... You're just sitting there trying to think, all right, maybe we can just get it to overtime. Maybe we can, you know, flex our size. That didn't happen enough. But just utter confusion and to the point of almost laughable in how incredible the entire uh situation was and not in a good way incredible yeah i mean it was just you know i was watching at home obviously it was just utter disbelief yeah from beginning to end um i mean you you never really know if a t if you're gonna come out and dominate as a one seed because the arena is always against you um right. everybody is looking for the upset everybody wants to see the top team lose because it's better for their team and it's, you know, it's fun. It's fun to root against somebody. And Mm -hmm. if you're there, you're always going to root against the, the Goliath. You know, you're not rooting against David in these battles. Um, You're rooting for the upset. And Purdue was obviously the team everybody wanted to see lose. And Mm -hmm. if you allow a team who is the underdog to stick around, you allow those fans who honestly don't care and who you know are just there to watch a game to wait for theirs uh, that comes after you suddenly let them focus more on the game you let them get into the game they go after you and it's just 
you you allow mm-hmm. these teams to stay in the game, and this is what March Madness thrives on: is these teams staying in games and clawing their way back and having a chance at the very end, whether it's because of the crowd or the officials being influenced by the crowd, whatever it may be. As a one seed, you can't allow it to happen. And Purdue allowed Fairleigh Dickinson to stay in this game, have a lead for a lot of the game, uh, and Purdue mm-hmm. just just couldn't figure anything out on offense to, to pull away. And it was an absolutely, absolutely maddening game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's no excuse for this outcome. Um, it just <laughs> it's not something that should happen. Only the second time it's ever happened in the history of the NCAA tournament. And now Purdue is in just terrible company uh, with Virginia. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just just astounding. Mm-hmm. Just astounding. But if we're going to look at silver linings here, oh, God. I think we sort of have to. Okay. You know exactly where I have mm-hmm. to go with this. The following season, after Virginia lost to a 16 seed, they won a national championship. So... We're not going to discuss how they got there, but they won a national championship the following season. Yeah. So, just don't even play the games next year. Just give it to Purdue. Let let's let history repeat itself, and we'll call it that. Yeah. So, I mean, if that is how this works out, if next year Purdue comes back and they win the national title, then I'm fine with this loss. But that's about the only way you're going to find me okay with this loss. Right. Um, the way Purdue played in this game was absolutely embarrassing. I want to put a caveat on all of this by saying that these are 18 to 20, you know, in David Jenkins Jr.'s case, 37-year-old children, uh, 37-year-old kids. So we want to, you know, temper what we say and understand that these guys, as hard as it is as it was for us as fans to watch our team lose. It had to have been exponentially harder for them to lose. Um, right. It is not as if they weren't trying. It is not as if they weren't out there putting their heart and soul into the game. Because they were. And that is what makes this part of our job difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Because I have not even a shred of the talent or athletic ability as even the worst Purdue player. Um you know, even even the walk-ons could, you know, outscore me a hundred to two um, if we went out mm-hmm. there and played. But part of this job is talking about what went wrong, talking about who played well, talking about who played poorly, and I think we have to do that today. Um, and we we need yeah. to look at everyone on Purdue because no one really particularly played very well, even Zach Eady. No. Even Zach Eady, who was out there 36 minutes, he was 7-11 from the floor, 7 of 10 from the free throw line, 15 rebounds, 21 points total, so 21 and 15, and you're like, that is a great, uh, great stat line. But he turned it over twice, uh, had trouble, you know, with some, with some in, with some passes. Um, the way FDU was playing on offense, uh, he got mm-hmm. blown by quite a few times. And the biggest culprit in this game, well, maybe there's so many culprits in this game. Purdue goes 5 of 26 from 3 for 19% and just absolutely missed so many open shots. I mean wide open shots. And Mm -hmm. I don't know 
if Purdue cannot hit those shots, there's no chance they win any games. Because mm-hmm. these are not just shots that are contested and you know you understand if they miss them. These are wide open shots because three to four FDU guys are sagging so far onto Zach Eady that they dared Purdue to shoot the three and to beat them from three. And Purdue could not rise to the challenge. Not at all. No. 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 And you said there the three-point shooting and turnovers. They had 16 turnovers in this game, too. Yeah. Compared to FDU's nine. So it came down to they looked like they were just afraid to shoot the ball. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't just the freshmen. No. That's happened before. It was everyone. Mason Gillis shot the three seven times, but in the final six minutes, he looked just like he didn't want to. He looked horrified. No one looked he like he looked horrified. To. I yeah. mean, he had the ball mm-hmm. um, on the in the corner near Purdue's bench on mm-hmm. uh, at least two occasions, wide open, and you could just see him hesitate. You could see it. Yeah. I. I mean. You and the announcers even commented on it. You know, if you're in this game, someone has to step up and take a shot, and no one wanted to be that guy. No one wanted to take over the game. There was no Carson Edwards. There was no Ryan Klein out there on the court. No one to say, F this. I'm doing this myself. We are not losing this game. And you look, I mean, just up and down, up and down the box score. Mason Gillis mm-hmm. from three, one for seven. Braden Smith. One for six, and I believe he made his first one. So after that, he went zero for five. Um, I maybe he maybe made his second, but I think it was his first. Um, Fletcher Lawyer surprisingly three for eight, uh, but then Brandon Newman zero for one, Ethan Morton zero for two, David Jenkins Jr. zero for two. Um, yeah. So just absolutely abysmal shooting, and as you as you said, no one wanted to shoot. No one wanted to be the guy to step up and win this game, and that is a huge, huge failing of this team. Yeah, and the problem is the person who has stepped up the entire season has been Zach Eady. Mm-hmm. And you could not beat Fairleigh Dickinson today or in this game by twos. You had to have someone step up and shoot from distance. And Purdue does not have that player. They have not had a player come in, shoot, you know, lights out, save maybe a few games from Lawyer. Um, and it's you just didn't have it. You don't have that cold-blooded player to come in and just do a Kemba Walker. Yeah. So there's your true difference in this, but it's... A lot of this has to be just the style of play. It just did not work in this. Yeah. I mean, they Fairleigh Dickinson was pressing. I put a tweet out. It takes four passes to break this press, get the ball to Zach Eady, and you're golden. They pulled it off one time. They almost pulled it off twice, but uh, I believe once it got to Gillis, it was a strip from behind and a turnover. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. But if you had just picked up your pace... They were slowing down. They they could not keep up if Purdue had ran and gone to the basket. And it played right into their hands because Fairleigh Dickinson, they had 
what, nine players play, and no one, only two players had more than 30 minutes play time. They were swapping players out the entire game so they could run circles around Purdue, mm-hmm. and they did. You saw it. Zach Eady could not keep up. Now, I get he's 7-4 and doesn't have the lateral quickness as a guard, but it was clear that's what they did. So do you speed them up so they get tired? It didn't happen, but that's what everyone uh, was shouting at them to do. Same thing, does Purdue go into a zone at some point and have Edie just play center field in the center? It could have happened, but that's just not Purdue's style of play. Yeah, yeah. So they did not change their style of play at all, and it just completely haunted them. Yeah. So I want to quibble with one thing you said. You Mm -hmm. said you couldn't, Purdue couldn't have won this game by going with twos. They had to have some threes. And, you know, ultimately, you look at the box score and you see that, you know, five of 26 just isn't going to get it done. But if Purdue could have, cleanly gotten the ball to Zach Eady in the last, you know, six minutes of the game, right. Purdue would have won this game. Instead, we had empty trip after empty trip after empty trip. Um, mm-hmm. I believe we had an, an over five-minute drought with no points. No almost field goals. Almost, yeah, almost six almost minutes. Almost six points. Yeah. And we're trying to get the ball to Zach Eady, but they're swarming him. And I'm sorry. But if the seven foot four guy is the focal point of your offense, you have got to be able to get him the ball. I don't care how right. difficult it is. I don't care how many six foot four guys are swarming him. Figure out how to pass him the ball. He is your star. He is the going to be the national player of the year. He's the conference player of the year, a consensus all American. Put his arms up in the air, figure out how to get him the ball. He will drive through them and he will get fouled. Zach Eady needed to use his power and his strength to get through these people. Um, but for whatever reason, either Purdue getting him the ball in the wrong position, either him not wanting to be selfish and take over the game like that, it just didn't get done. In those last six to eight minutes, Zach Eady barely touched the ball. And mm-hmm. I, I want to be fair and say credit to Fairley Dickinson on how they play defense, but you cannot convince me that they are better athletically and better schematically than we can be as a team. And it's just, it's a failing on every level. And Mm -hmm. I want to go to your last point, talking about how Purdue basically allowed Fairleigh Dickinson to play their game. Mm -hmm. Fairleigh Dickinson controlled the tempo, controlled the style, all 40 minutes of this game. With the, yep. the brief exception of that 10-0 run, when it really felt like Purdue might be taking back control. Um, but as you said, right after that 10-0 run, Fairleigh Dickinson had their own 8-0 run. So it's not as if that was even you know a time when we could all relax and, and enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. And here's where, if, you are, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that I'm a huge Matt Painter fan. I mm-hmm. will defend him almost always. I cannot defend this game. I cannot defend the coaching choices. I cannot defend anything that happened in this game, especially when you compare it to Purdue's last two tourney exits. And I've got the box scores for all three of these games up, and there's a couple stats I want to read to you and just show you how these games are similar. So Purdue loses this game, Fairleigh Dickinson, 63-58. to Fairleigh Dickinson was shot 38% from the floor. 
30% from three, not particularly great, right? You figure you get your opponent to shoot that, you're going to win the game. You look at St. Peter's last year. Purdue loses that game 67-64. to Their field goal percentage in that game, 38%. Their three-point percentage, 28%. Again, you get those numbers against your opponent, you assume you're going to win. Now, we go back one more year. Uh, Purdue loses as a four seed to North Texas. This one not as doesn't really fit the narrative as much, but it's worth pointing out. 78-69 to 69 was the final score there. They shot much better than either of Purdue's most recent opponents. They shot 47% from the floor, including 42% from three. They mm-hmm. at least shot Purdue out. You know, they won because they shot the ball better. St. Mm-hmm. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson took over games against Purdue. They imposed their will on Purdue. Keep in mind, St. Peter's, a 15 seed versus Purdue's three seed. Fairleigh Dickinson, a 16 against Purdue's one. I don't understand how Matt Painter can allow these other teams, these smaller teams, these li- like less athletic teams, less skilled teams, to completely control the game. He doesn't mm-hmm. do this. He doesn't do this during the regular season. He doesn't do this during non-conference season when we're playing teams that are of the same caliber as teams like St. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson. Purdue was undefeated in their regular season non-conference this year. And and not all of those games were against Gonzaga or Duke or West Virginia. You know, we played some teams that were not very good, but they didn't impose their will against us. So why can't we do it in the tournament? What is going on that Painter cannot do this in the tournament and loses to these teams that, by all analytical and statistical perspective, are far, far worse than Purdue? Right. What the hell is the difference? Yeah, and you you have to wonder if it's some sort of just mental block. I know he's he's quite stubborn in his ways. I mean, that can be a very good thing. Yeah, and hang on to that thought because as soon as you're done, I'm coming back to that. I've got a lot of opinions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so he does not change it up. He doesn't really change his offense. And, you know, Zach Eady was the crutch this season. Now, as you said, and I agree what you know, your rebuttal that they could have gone to Zach Eady more and should have, but just nothing changed in this game. And really, it was tempo. Tempo completely yes. just annihilated Purdue's chances in this game. If you ran a little bit more, these players would have been tired and their offense should have slowed down. Now, this is the, you know, what? They were 361st ranked defense at one point. Yep. yep. Prior to their prior to their first four game, they were 361st. After that, they jumped all the way up to 359th. So this is just this should have been a cakewalk, and clearly it wasn't. I mean, I understand you get some momentum winning your first four games, or your first four game. That should not be enough to take down. No, because, I mean, because Purdue was coming off their Big Ten Tournament Championship. Yeah. Now, again, they almost let that one slide, too. I mean, a win is a win is a win, right, you'd think. But Purdue, you're only scoring 58 points. That is not nearly enough no. unless you're in a rock fight with a team from Wisconsin. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's about so, the only time you'll see that. Yeah. 
it's just it's just unfathomable. Yeah. So two points. One one off of yours. So mm-hmm. you were talking about how painter is stubborn. And yep. I agree. Uh, I would use not stubborn. I would use rigid. Um, okay. Because, and I think it can be a strength of his, but it clearly can be a drawback. Painter knows who he is. He knows what he's good at. He knows, you know, how to teach things to his players. He knows how to get his team ready. And I know that sounds contradictory to kind of what I just said earlier because he can't seem to do it in March, but Painter's teams have an identity earlier in the season. I was talking Mm -hmm. to Casey about this earlier today, and I know it's something also that Drew has said in our group chat. Mm -hmm. Painter's teams do well at the beginning of the year because they know who they are. They know exactly what they're going to be, and they're going to be it the whole season. Um, It seems like we take down opponents who are still learning who they are, who are still trying to grow into themselves. Um, But then, so that's good. You know, we we start out seasons great on a pretty regular basis. However, then everybody catches up to us. Uh, And when things don't go well, Painter always talks about, you know, his process and it's a system and you got to be process based and you put in the work and you'll get the results. And that is a lovely sentiment. And I think it is true in most things in life that if you put in the work, good things will come. But when you're in a single elimination tournament that ultimately decides how people view not only you, but your entire body of work, you cannot be so rigid. You have to understand that these smaller teams, these overmatched teams, Fairleigh Dickinson, St. Peter's, North Texas, you know the game they're going to play. You know what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to dictate the speed of the game. They're going to make you play down to their level, and they're going to swarm our big men. It happens every time. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how we do not have a counterpunch for that at this point. We basically played the same game last night as we did against St. Peter's. Neither opponent shot the ball well, but they pressured us, they forced us into turnovers, and they just converged on our big men, and ultimately that's the reason we lost. And that is so frustrating. And to your other point, I don't understand where the urgency was for Purdue. Purdue Mm -hmm. was down by either three or five, and Braden Smith is just with like two minutes left, three minutes left, a minute and a half left, Braden Smith is walking the ball up the court. No urgency. FDU is content at that point. They weren't even pressing him. They were content at that point to let Purdue burn the clock because the clock was their friend and Purdue's enemy. And Braden Smith and the rest of the team, Braden Smith was only only the point guard. Once the ball gets across half court and it goes around the horn, it's up to everyone to figure out how to get a good shot and get it fast. And there was none of it. There was no one... like. No sense of urgency of, we are down five points with a minute to go. We have got to score, and we have got to score fast. There was yeah. nothing from this team in that front. Yeah, not until about 30 seconds left. And at that point, just it was too too little too late. Uh, yeah, it's, the problem is pe- people from the outside looking in are going to say, okay, you know, you knew this was going to happen because FDU was really good with the press. The press didn't make that much of a difference other than slowing down tempo of the game. They uh, FDU really only attacked the first pass and then let Purdue go to work. It's, you know, it makes Purdue get over the 
half court line at you know 22 in the shot clock rather than 27 and those five seconds matter every single possession because that's five extra seconds you can hold off and not have to run with you know run with the big boys yeah so obviously that is a big thing that Purdue just could not do did not do chose not to do you don't know if they had ran who knows what the final score would have been but it's just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I mean, you had Zach Eady go up for a rebound on uh, on defense, hits his hit face. In the, yeah, hit him in the face. Just every and, and, little and, thing. And that resulted in an FDU uh, basket on the on the next mm-hmm. play. Yep, you had Brandon Newman taking a uh, pass square in his hands, just bounces right off his hands. And that led to an FDU fast break. I don't remember if they scored or not. Um, just every little detail that went wrong led to FDU having an advantage, and they took advantage of everything else. So you hate, to, you hate like, yeah, really just it burns coming out of your mouth that their head coach was 100% right in yeah. the video yeah. that everyone in the country saw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he watched the tape and he said, "I think we can beat him." The more I watch, the more I think we can do this. He knows his personnel. He knew what he had, and he saw a weakness and he exploited it. And they beat Purdue. Yeah. We we always say, you know, teams don't always just lose games. Sometimes the other team wins them. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, I don't know which it is. I don't because Purdue did everything they could to give the game away. But FDU was prepared, and right. so kudos to them. I mean, you, like, I want to hate them. I do. But it, they they did everything they did everything right, and they yeah, won the game. Is, yeah. This isn't one of those games where you have to look at your opponent and say, you know, oh, I got cheated. Oh, they, you know, I hate them because they won. This is a game that makes you look yourself and your program in the mirror. Because right now, this Purdue team and this Purdue program is, it reminds me of Iowa. Iowa is amazing at what they do. Iowa can put up 120 points in a game. But as soon as something changes, that's when all hell breaks, breaks loose. It's, it's as you said, the, rigi- or the rigidity of the style of play through Purdue. Now, Purdue's not Iowa. Purdue's at the next level, but it's the same thing where if you can't bend without breaking. Yeah. And that is very ineffective in the tournament. Yeah, it's... I mean, this is... Someone someone on Twitter asked me if this is rock bottom for this program, (laughs) and I didn't know how to answer that. Because it certainly feel it, it. I mean, it certainly feels like rock bottom. You're a number one seed. You lose to a 16. Only the second time in history it's ever happened. But I'm trying to be fair, and take a step back, and say, this can't be rock bottom, because we won the Big Ten by three games. We won the Big Ten tournament, and you know you can listen to IU fans, and they'll tell you that those don't matter. Those don't mean anything. The only thing that matters is whether you hang a banner, you know, following March Madness. 
and there's a certain school of thought among the Purdue fan base that, that feels that way as well. I don't feel that way. I still look at this season, and I will always remember this season as a great season until the yeah. end. But that's how every season ends. Every season for Purdue ends that way. Only one, only one team walks away at the end of the year and is happy. But I'm going to remember that Purdue won the Big Ten by three games. I'm going to remember that Purdue was ranked number one, ranked in the top five for 15 straight weeks. I'm going to remember that they won the Big Ten tournament. Did they almost give that game away? You're damn right they did. But at the end of the day, they won. Purdue walks away with two championships. They walk away with the, the Phil Knight Invitational Championship. We got great stories out of this program. David Jenkins Jr. unfortunately didn't get to 2,000 points, didn't score at all in this game. Going to be 11 points shy of 2,000. But what a great story he was. You know, mm-hmm. what, a, what a great addition to this Purdue program he was. And he's gone now. You know, he, he's played his last game in college. He's, he's off to, to whatever is next for him in life. Mm-hmm. And without this season, we wouldn't have David Jenkins Jr. Maybe Zach Eady has played his last game as a Boilermaker. I don't know. After the game, he sounded noncommittal. He didn't know what he was going to do. He's got a lot of stuff to think about, and I'm not going to blame him one way or the other with whatever decision he makes. So is this rock bottom? I don't think so. But is this a hard place to be? Absolutely. And right. I don't want to take away any feeling from a Purdue fan who is angry right now. I don't want them to think that I'm telling them they're stupid for being angry or they're, they don't care if they're saying I want to you know walk away from the program for a while and I won't be back next season and fire Painter. Because trust me, I hear it. I hear it every, right. every minute of every day seemingly since we lost this game on Twitter. Everyone's, people are sending me change.org positions to fire Matt Painter, <laughs> which is so stupid, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but being frustrated is fine. But I guess my question is, is you're frustrated, but what, what are you going to do? What are you going right. to do about it? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. When you fire a coach, it doesn't mean you're going to go out and get you know the next great hire who's going to win you four national championships and you're going to remember their name forever and you're going to name their arena, the arena after them. I don't yeah. know. I love Matt Painter and I want him to stay. I don't want him to yeah. be fired. My, my wife and I were talking about this today. What do you do in this circumstance if you're Matt Painter's boss? Because you, you're disappointed. You're disappointed in the results. Again, you're, you're happy with the season because you got the titles, Big Ten and Big Ten Tournament. You had a lot of great national exposure. You're doing things the right way. You're graduating players. You're not you know, committing recruiting violations, NCAA rule violations, anything like that. So you're happy in a lot of ways. But you've become an embarrassment on a national stage now in three years in a row. You've got guys like Pat Forty, Dan Wolken. All the national writers are writing stories about how Purdue has become the laughing stock of March. But what do you do if you're Mike Bobinski? You're not going to fire Matt Painter. No. But how can you send a message to him that you've got to make changes? You've got to figure this out. What do you do? Yeah, and there's there's a reason we don't make the same amount of money as Mike Bobinski. Well, maybe maybe you him. don't. I'm the co-site manager. I don't. <laughs> right. I, I'm doing right. pretty well. There you go. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's certainly above my pay grade. I, um, that's that's the nature of sports, though. I mean, in what sport is there 
where you only or every sport you only have one champion at the end of the year. Like that's how it works in college basketball. There are 363 teams. The odds are more than stacked against you. And as you said, Matt Painter has done it the correct way. He's done it the clean way and he's made a national presence of this team. It's just, you can't pull it together in March and you can always say, Oh, there's always next year, but you're right. You need, it depends on if you're going to be a results based person or as Matt Painter says, a process based person. So it really comes down to what philosophy you have there. I'm with you. I think Matt Painter should coach until he decides to retire at Purdue. Uh, but you're right. It's it's just frustrating to the same mistakes happen over and over again when he doesn't make those same mistakes any other time in the year. If you're, you know, you almost want to say don't think of it as a tournament, but obviously he understands this. He, you know, it's not like he hasn't been in basketball his entire life. So you wonder if it's some sort of mental block you have or if nerves get the best of you. But I don't know. To answer your question, I don't know what you do if you're Mike Bobinski. Yeah. There's, you know, you talk about nerves, things like that. That I remember my my brother is a huge San Francisco 49ers fan, um, Mm -hmm. has been his whole life. And, you know, they, they did so well with Montana um, and then Montana went to the Chiefs, and they had Steve Young as the backup. And, you know, when you follow a legend um, like Joe Montana, there's always going to be the question of, should they really have let Montana get away? Steve Young, is he ever going to be as good as Montana? You know, what can he do? Right. They're never going to win a Super Bowl. And they finally, of course, did win a Super Bowl with Steve Young. And one of the things I always remember is they showed a- another player, and I can't remember who it was, um, like kind of jumping on to Steve Young and pulling some pump, like fake pulling something off his back. And they said it was the monkey. They were finally pulling the monkey off his back. So he's finally going to be remembered as like a great quarterback because he won that Super Bowl. And right. the monkey on Matt Painter's back has got to be 2000 pounds at this point. Yeah. There, there was, there was a story in the athletic last week about if you're starting a program right now, you're going into March who do you want as your coach? If you're going into March, it can't be your team you're coaching. Pretend your coach gets hit by a bus, basically. And you can pull any coach in the country to put them on your on your sideline to win you the games and win you the tournament. Matt Painter got the second most votes of all these uh, of all the coaches in the country. And mm-hmm. this was not a bunch of reporters answering the questions. These were other coaches answering these questions. The only person yeah. who got more votes than Matt Painter was Bill Self. Bill Self, of course, yeah. of of course, won the national title uh, last year. Uh, just got beat today, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so you you and I follow sports. We we follow Purdue. I think we understand how good of a situation we have with Matt Painter. Yes, and I think you can exactly. see that by the respect that he gets throughout the country, by the respect that other coaches give him. But at some point, the monkey has to come off the back. The monkey, otherwise the monkey consumes you, you become (laughs) the monkey. You know what I mean? Like that is all that people see. And I don't know 
what Painter can do to get over that other than change. And Matt yeah. Painter is self-aware enough to know that this is not acceptable. He talks about it after every time Purdue leaves the NCAA tournament with a heartbreaking loss. I read his, his transcript from his press conference, and he said, you know, we got out coached, and that's on me, and that's not acceptable. But I've heard those words from Matt Painter before. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen a difference between this year, the St. Peter's loss, and the North Texas loss. And Matt Painter needs better guards, or different guards, I should say. Not better. I, that, I want to take that back. He, sh- he needs different guards. He needs guards like Jaden Ivey. He needs a guard like Carson Edwards. He needs somebody mm-hmm. who can slash, who can get to the hoop, and who can play independently and take over a game if necessary. I think he's got good guys coming in that can do that. Miles Colvin might be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very hard to rely on a freshman when you're coming in next year. Maybe Maybe these guards that are supposed to be very, very good that are coming in next year and the year after will be what Purdue needs. But I don't know that for sure. We're talking about yeah. 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, and I don't know how they're going to be in college. And if you say that you do know, you're lying. We look at recruiting rankings. We look at recruiting videos. We read stories from people who follow them, but we don't know. Right. And to say otherwise is naive. Yeah. I, I will say on that note, that is something I still trust Matt Panner to do, is to bring in a player and have them elevate their game. So Matt Painter has done that before. I think he will still do that almost almost to a point of flaw where in the regular season, the team almost plays too well, which and you almost question if they just go in thinking it's going to be a cakewalk and it's obviously not. Obviously, the tournament is different, but yeah, it's it's going to be difficult and. We say it every year. There's always a transfer portal. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Matt Painter doesn't hit that like other teams do. It seems that might be a change he can make. You know, I know he definitely tried to hit the ground running going into this season and missed out a few uh, players yeah. that we thought would have been really effective. Yep, Nigel Pack. Nigel yep. Pack really would have changed the dynamic on this team. Yep, but. That's the nature of NIL, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's yep. how it is. So that's already difficult because Purdue's not a money, you know, not one of the most luxurious places to go. And I'm sure a first-round exit didn't help the case that much um, in this sense. But, again, it's do you trust the process? Yes, but... Is the process starting to wear thin? Also, yes. Yeah. So, I think I've said everything I need to say um, about this game. Ryan, do you have anything else? Um, I look forward to the freshmen continuing their careers, and I know that Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, will get better. And that's <laughs> they've already set a high bar for themselves. Yeah. So they have. I look forward to that. I feel like for whomever played their final game in a Purdue uniform, whether that be only David Jenkins or more, you know what, one year or six years, you're a Boilermaker now, you're a Boilermaker for life, and obviously I really enjoyed watching them play, 
and wish them nothing but the best in their future careers. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm going to leave you all with one thing um, from one of my favorite television shows of all time, Ted Lasso. Um, Ryan, I know you're a fan too. Um, like every good Midwestern man, uh, I learned all my emotions from television. And Ted Lasso brings out emotion in me like hardly ever any other show. Um, there, obviously, if, if for those that have not listened to us talk about Ted Lasso before, um, it's about a American football coach who goes and coaches a a soccer club over in the UK, and after his team loses um, in heartbreaking fashion, he goes into the locker room and he and he sees everyone. Everyone is sad. Everyone's despondent. Um, because they they missed a giant opportunity, um, and now they're just in a terrible spot. And he comes in and he says, I promise you there's something worse out there than being sad, and that's being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. And I want to leave you with that because Purdue fans are very sad right now. We're also angry, but I'm, I'm sad because yeah. I feel like we've just missed such an opportunity with this team. They could have been so much more. But ultimately, as Purdue fans, we're not alone. We're out there together with every other Purdue fan. And it's going to take time to get over it. We may never get over this loss. It's going to stick with us. It's going to follow us around. But there is always next year. We always can commiserate together. And next Mm -hmm. time you see a Virginia fan, you can talk to them about how hard it is. So that's all we've got tonight, you know. It's a tough one. We're going to pay attention to the rest of March Madness, um, but it's just not going to be the same. Uh, podcast episodes probably going to go down to once a week uh, for a little while because, you know, there's just not as much to follow at this point. But, man, it was been a, it's been an interesting season. We're still Big Ten champs, but it's not how we wanted to end it. So, for Ryan and myself, thanks so much. Boiler up. Hammer down.